Hi, I'm Leslie Ludi, host of the Set Apart podcast, biblical encouragement for women of all ages. Today, I want to look at what it means to become marriage ready. A number of years ago, Eric and I did an online course together called Becoming Marriage Ready. And it's so beneficial for whether you're looking ahead to the future, you're in a relationship, or you're already married and you're looking for principles that can strengthen your marriage. These are things that we have learned throughout our 25 plus years of marriage and things that God even began to teach us before we were married that have really had a lasting impact on our relationship. So before we dive in, I wanted to remind you that we still have spots available in our week-long discipleship program at Ellerslie in Colorado late August or our five-week program in Colorado at Ellerslie this fall, starting in September. And there are a few spots left. The spaces are filling quickly. But if you are looking for a set-apart season to come away with Jesus, whether you are married or single or you want to bring your whole family, people of all seasons of life come here to be refreshed and recharged spiritually. We would love to see you this year. Just go to Ellerslie E-L-L-E-R-S-L-I-E.com to learn more about our programs. Let's look at becoming marriage ready. And this is part one because there there are so many truths that apply to being marriage ready, but I want to go into some of the most foundational ones today. And one of the most important principles I learned was in my first year of marriage, I started to read a lot of Christian books on marriage. Now, there were some helpful tips in these books, but pretty soon I started to realize that these marriage books were making me feel discontent with my marriage. If you are married, you probably know what I'm talking about. You have this vision of what your husband is supposed to be, and you see it in a book, and then you become a little frustrated that he's not there yet. A lot of the books that I read focused on practical ways that a a wife could help her husband understand her better and meet her needs. And that was sometimes a good thing, helping with communication. But I also found that when I focused too much on trying to get Eric to meet my needs, I started to gain a critical spirit towards him because he just wasn't always perfect at it. And the more I read about, quote, what a wife needs from her husband, the more I started to notice all the ways that he was falling short of being that perfect Prince Charming that I had always dreamed about. So instead of approaching marriage with this attitude of selflessness, how can I love and serve the man that God has put in my life, I started to spend a lot more time thinking about ways that he should be loving and serving me. So instead of asking the question, how can I bless and serve my spouse, I started asking, is he doing a good job of blessing and serving me? As a result, our marriage became strained and both of us became frustrated. If you're married and you've walked through a season like that, you probably can relate to what I'm saying. When I got to my second year of marriage, I finally made a choice to not ask that question, hey, is my husband meeting all of my needs? And instead, by God's grace, I decided I was going to start asking a different question. Am I loving and serving my spouse the way God intended me to? It's a lot easier to focus on how he's falling short, but when I turned it around and I said, am I doing everything that I can to love and serve him? It really changed the picture for me. I started to recognize, you know, he's not perfect, but neither am I. And when I made that purposeful attitude shift, there was really a noticeable change in our marriage. I wasn't so concerned anymore with what he was or wasn't doing in our marriage or if he was being a perfect husband. I became more focused on faithfully fulfilling the call that God had put on my life to love and honor and serve the man that he had chosen for me to spend my life with. And of course, that didn't mean that I never talked to Eric about ways that he could be more 
more sensitive. It just meant my focus had shifted. It was no longer selfish. It was more selfless. And it made a huge difference in our marriage. And when I took that approach, Eric actually became a better husband. It seems like the opposite would be true. You know, if I focus more on serving him, he's just going to take advantage of that. But as I focused on serving him and loving him better, he became more sensitive to my needs and more caring and more considerate. And I think it's because instead of feeling nagged and criticized, he started to feel loved and respected and appreciated. So he wasn't constantly on the defensive, feeling like a failure. As I loved him and served him and focused on that, he became stronger as a man and more able to meet my needs. My decision to ask the right question, which is basically what can I give rather than what can I get, was a huge transformational decision in our marriage in those early years. And even now, whenever I feel a strain in our marriage, that is the question that God always brings me back to. Now, again, I do communicate my needs to Eric, and I try to help him become a more sensitive husband. I'm not one of these silent, mousy, martyr complex women who never shares needs or concerns, but I have learned that when I approach my husband with a selfish, needy, critical attitude, only concerned with getting my own needs met. I'm setting things up for disaster. But when I approach him with a loving, outward-focused attitude, I start to build him up instead of tear him down. And that's the result of that is that I build my marriage and family up rather than tearing it down. Proverbs 14.1 says, A wise woman builds her house, but a foolish pulls it down with her hands. You know, the enemy often fools us into thinking that complaining and criticizing is going to get us what we want out of our marriage. But when we tear our husband down with our words and our actions and our critical attitude, we not only tear down his strength and his morale, but we pull down the fabric of our marriage and our family. So shifting from asking that question, what can I get to what can I give changes everything. And really that's a question we can start asking even before we've met our spouse. How can we give to him now? How can we pray for him and honor him and love him in the way that we're living and the choices that we're making right now. Taking a selfless approach instead of a selfish one into a relationship actually causes our needs to be met a lot quicker and more effectively than taking a selfish approach. It sets us up for success, and it's only possible by the grace of God. Now, if you are in an abusive situation, as I always have to clarify, please remove yourself from that situation and pray for your husband from a distance and get get help from somebody who can really support you and give you wisdom on what to do. But I'm talking about the everyday struggles that we have with just wanting to be more selfish versus self. So we start to ask the question, what can I give instead of what can I get? And everything begins to change. A few ways that we can start cultivating that attitude right now. First and foremost, to turn outward. There is such a prevalent modern idea that we've talked about in other podcasts, but it's it's very much targeted towards women. And it says, don't just meet everybody else's needs, take care of yourself. Now, it is important to tend to our own needs, but we've taken this idea often to an unhealthy level as modern women. We protect self-identity and me time above all else. And we even view marriage and children often as a way to make us happy rather than to love and serve the people that God has placed into our lives. So I would encourage you to practice building a lifestyle that is based around serving others rather than a lifestyle that is just focused on getting what you want. If you approach relationships with an outward focus, you're setting yourself up for success and not failure. Another way that you can cultivate this attitude right now is to show honor to your family members. So if you are unmarried, if you're single, if you're living with roommates or family members, if you're around people that test your patience, this is an amazing 
practice ground for marriage. Those who seem the hardest to love and serve now are actually training you to be excellent in your future family. And when you dream of marriage, you oftentimes think of it as like this amazing fairy tale and you're just going to love your husband and never be irritated or frustrated with him. But those of us who are married know that reality does set in and you realize you're married to a human who does make mistakes and you can lose patience so easily with the people that you are closest to. So if you start practicing right now on those that you are living with or those you're closest to, especially those that try your patience, you will be so much more set up to be patient and loving in your future marriage. Eric walked through a season before we were married, practicing tenderness and sensitivity with his mom and his sister. He realized that he had been sort of a typical guy towards them, very insensitive to their unique needs and desires. And so he actually went out of his way to learn how to speak tenderly to them and show interest and sensitivity to them. And I'm so thankful that he walked through that season practicing honor towards his mom and his sister because it set him up to be that way in our marriage. Thirdly, checking your motives for marriage. Is marriage for your own happiness or is it for the glory of God? And I think so often we go into marriage thinking this is all about making me happy. And marriage does bring happiness into our life, especially Christ-centered marriage, but it needs to be about more than just our own happiness. It needs to be about the glory of God because marriage is meant to reflect a much bigger picture of marriage, the marriage between the bride and the bridegroom, Jesus Christ towards his church. And so when we can reflect the glory of God in our marriage, we actually honor Jesus Christ. Elizabeth Elliot wrote this in her book, Passion and Purity. She said, a man's love for a woman ought to hold her to the highest. Her love for him ought to do the same. I did not want to turn Jim, which was her future husband, aside from the call of God to distract his energies or in any way to stand between him and surrender. This is what I understood real love to mean. Purity comes at a high price. Sometimes the sacrifice makes little sense to others, but when offered to him, it is always accepted. That story is so different from the do what makes you happy approach that we are so accustomed to these days. Most of the common questions that swirl around modern Christian relationships don't didn't even really come into play for people like Jim and Elizabeth Elliot because they were so focused on the glory of God and not their own selfish whims. So oftentimes when we're asking questions in, in pre-marriage relationships, like, well, how far is too far physically? And, you know, how can I get this guy to like me more? Or, you know, how how can I date around and experience all the best of the dating world and still honor God at the same time. A lot of those questions just flow from a selfish mindset rather than my motive in this whole entire area of my life is to bring glory to Jesus Christ in how I show honor and love to the person that he has for me, how I show honor to those around me when during my single years. When you're in it for God's glory and not just your own happiness, you make very different decisions from the culture and the world, and yet your relationship can stand the test of time when it's about the glory of God and not your own happiness. Another key principle is to entrust your marriage dreams to God. This is so critical both before and after marriage. So many of us grow up with our own set of personal dreams when it comes to marriage. So it might be a cute home with a white picket fence or a gallant knight in shining armor who sweeps us off our feet every morning, or maybe just a comfortable, easy, predictable life. A lot of us kind of come up with our own fairy tale and put ourselves right in the middle of it. Rarely do God's plans for us align with our own ideas of what is going to lead to the greatest happiness for us. Usually, very often, in fact, pretty much all the time, he asks us to lay down our dreams and desires at his feet so that he can replace them with his own dreams for our lives. His plans for us are not always easy, but they lead always to a deeper fulfillment and joy than any plan we could ever concoct for ourselves. So whether you are married or single, 
take some time to prayerfully consider whether you have really entrusted your hopes, your plans, and your dreams to your faithful creator, or are you still clinging stubbornly to your own ideas of how you want your life to turn out? Unless you approach marriage with a surrendered heart, you will miss out on the amazing plans God has for you because you're you're clinging too tightly to your own plans. A lot of women become controlling and manipulative, making everyone around them miserable in an attempt to push forward their own agenda. And as the book of Proverbs reminds us, the wise woman builds her house, but the foolish pulls it down with her hands. A woman who has joyfully yielded her will, her dreams, her desires to God will remain peaceful and joyful and outward focused even when things turn out different from what she expected. And that's because her hope is not in her own dreams, but it's in Jesus Christ. It's a lesson I had to learn very early in my marriage because even though we had a beautiful fairy tale romance and God-centered love story, the first few months of marriage, we had some really interesting circumstances. I think I've shared the story in other podcasts, but we were living in this house that was infested with fleas and the pipes exploded and I got really sick and we just had one thing after the next. And I realized, you know, this is really not the fairy tale that I dreamed of. And God had to remind me, where are you putting your hope? Is it in a dream, a fairy tale ideal, or in Jesus Christ? The most world-altering women in Christian history have been those who willingly gave up their own dreams and their own expectations in exchange for God's. Here's some examples. Catherine Booth, the co-founder of the Salvation Army, she gave up a settled home and a predictable lifestyle in order to serve alongside her husband in reaching countless people around the world with the gospel. Sabina Wormbrandt, co-founder of the Voice of the Martyrs Ministry, gave up the security of having her husband by her side when she encouraged him to take a bold stand against the communists who were invading the Romanian church. Elizabeth Elliot gave up the right to a long and happy life with her husband when she supported his decision to risk his life for an unreached tribe in Ecuador. That decision led to his martyrdom. Now, God may not call each of us to these specific scenarios, but he does call us to live a surrendered life, yielding our own will to his. Jesus set this pattern before us when he said, I have come down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. And again, in Luke twenty-two forty-two, not my will, but you yours, meaning his Father in heaven, be done. No matter how our selfish and fleshly side may feel about it, laying everything on the altar, especially our marriage dreams, and giving those things fully to Jesus Christ to do whatever he wants with our lives, whatever he sees fit with us, that's where true Christianity begins, and that's where marriage success really begins. Our desire for marriage is no exception to God's call to surrender. So let's not fall for those ear-tickling messages that don't require true abandonment to the one who gave his very life for us. He took up his cross and he asked us to do the same. On the other side of surrender, we will find the greatest joy. I've shared on this podcast before, there's some great examples of that surrendered attitude. Oswald and Biddy Chamber are a couple in history that would be great ones to study. Reese and Elizabeth Howells, Jim and Elizabeth Elliott, Richard and Sabina Wormbrandt. If you want a vision for what that surrender looks like, study the lives of these couples because what you'll see is not only a Christ-centered marriage, but a very, very happy and fulfilled life, even though they went through hard things, even though they had to give up dreams and desires and their own plans. So those are some principles that you can begin to apply, whether you're married or single, to begin to lay your dreams at the feet of Jesus and by His grace, begin to approach relationships for His glory and not your own selfishness. And that is when you're going to discover the secret to true marriage success. I hope you've enjoyed this week's episode. If you'd like to go deeper into becoming marriage ready, go to setapartgirl.com and look in the online mentoring program or on our list of courses, and you can take our course called Becoming Marriage Ready, which goes a lot deeper into these principles. I pray you have a blessed and Christ-centered week.